0: But is everyone good this morning? Have you had a good cup of coffee? Do you feel good? Do you feel ready for the word of the Lord? Amen. Amen. Come on, I'm ready. I'm about to explode because I've been walking around with this word for probably two years. Um, And so I'll share a little bit about that. But why don't we just pray and we just trust that the Holy Spirit would, would take charge of this word in Jesus' name. Father, we thank you again this morning that you are a good God. We thank you, Lord, that where two or more are gathered, there you are among us. So, Lord, we welcome again your presence in this place. And we thank you, Jesus, that you are the King of all kings. You are the Lord of all lords. You are the Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. So, Jesus, I pray that you would take this word this morning and you would divide it up into a hundred pieces. And, Lord, I pray that every person sitting in this room hearing my voice, will encounter you, will hear your voice this morning, would hear a specific rhema, living word for them, for their life and for their situation. And Father, I pray that you will anoint my lips this morning. Lord, let no word come out of my mouth that is not something that you want your children to hear. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would take guidance, Lord, and that you would lead us. Make us wiser, Lord, give us wisdom, give us discernment, Give us your love, give us your grace and your mercy because we need it. We need it to build your church and to build your kingdom here in Vintuk and in the nation of Namibia. So we thank you and I pray a blessing over every person in this room in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. 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 Okay, so it was about two years ago, February 2018, and I was in, living with Durbanville. We were under the leadership of, of JC. Um, Van Ruyen, who was here last week, for those who met him, he's our senior pastor. Um, and he said to me the one Sunday, uh, by the way, you're preaching next Sunday. And I was like ready to have a heart attack. <laughs> and I was like, oh my gosh, okay, Lord, what do I speak about? What do I, what do I say to your children? What, you know, you can, you can look at a thousand sermons, you can look at a thousand scriptures, but who knows that we want to hear the rhema word of God. Sometimes, or always, there's a, Lord, there's a word that the Lord wants to speak to us today that is fresh, that is fresh manna from heaven. And I remember the Lord showing me a picture as I was praying that week, mostly out of panic. Um, and he showed me a picture of the congregation basically sitting like we are sitting here. And I saw in the spirit like an angel walking around in the room, and he was putting golden crowns on people's heads, on everyone in the room, men, women, children, everyone. And I said, Lord, what does that mean? What does it mean, you know, an angel putting golden crowns? And the Lord started speaking to my heart that week through many different ways and in Scripture about crowns representing sonship. And when I say sonship, I'm talking about our identity in Christ. And He started speaking to me about that crown, that crown that represents the fact that I'm a child of God, that represents that I'm a son and a daughter of the Most High King. And... If you think of crown and if you think of sonship, sonship represents a position and an identity we have in the father. You know, that story of the, of the prodigal son, he was lost and he was found. And when he came back, his dad put a robe on him. He put the ring on him, the signet ring. He um, slaughtered the fattened calf. He gave him the best of he, what he had. And the Bible says that he was no longer a slave, but he was a son again. And that is God's heart for us. And he started speaking to me about identity. And, you know, we are a church that really trusts the Lord to move out in authority. We are trusting the Lord to, to walk as Jesus walked on this earth. If Jesus said, pray for the sick and see them get healed, then we want to be able to do that. And to, for us to be enabled to do that, we need to walk in authority. Amen. We need to understand our authority in Christ. And what the Lord spoke to me about was that before we can actually walk out in our authority... We need to understand our identity. We have no place trying to walk in an authority if we don't know who we are. Actually, for ourselves, it will hurt us, and it will hurt the kingdom. And as I was praying for this week, this is two years later, God brought up this message again. And he said, speak to them about their identity in Christ. And before this, I didn't actually plan this, but actually, when did we start planning Kids Church? Months ago. And for our children's church, we are actually running a curriculum at the moment. It's, I think it's eight weeks. So for the entire February and March, we are talking to the kids about their identity. So I didn't actually think about it until I sat with Kids Church this week, and we were going through Psalm 139 about you know, how we were knitted in our mother's womb. And I'm like, oh, my goodness, these two are actually tying together so beautifully. And we are talking to the kids about their identity in Christ. We are teaching them who Jesus has called them to be we are telling them that Jesus knew them and planned them before they were even born, before they were even in their mother's womb. Because it's very important that we understand our identity right from the start. Because I believe, I don't know if you can see it in society, that everywhere in society, if we look at the root psychological problems that most people have, the root often and most times boils down to a lack of identity. And... As I was researching identity, you know, I realized that once our identity is skewed, if we don't know who we are, it will actually affect how we live our life. If we don't know who God has called us to be, how can we ever possibly get to our calling and our destiny? How can we be the person that God has called us to be if we don't understand our identity in Christ? And the reality is that as Christians, we live in a spiritual battle today. Okay, we know that the enemy will try anything to steal your identity from you. It starts as early in the womb. You know, there's, there's evidence we can, we can speak about this for days, but babies can experience rejection in the womb. Babies can experience abandonment. You can be born with a spirit of rejection. That is the truth. If you if you read the Bible and you, you look at that story where Jesus was still in Mary's womb, he was still what name is that? And he was in Mary's womb. And the Bible says that when when Mary visited Elizabeth, who was carrying John the Baptist, Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, the baby leaped with joy. These were both babies in the womb, and it speaks of the emotions that they experienced as babies in the womb. And the enemy will try anything to come and steal your identity as early as he can. And we're going to talk about that this morning. Because before we step out in our authority in Christ, we need to pick up our identity in Christ. And so, my question this morning is do we know who we are? Do we know who God has called us to be? Do we know that there is a spiritual crown on our head? That we are royalty? It's not just Prince Charles who is royalty. Uns is ook royalty. Uns is and so I just want the team to show a little clip this morning, and then I'm going to dig into further of what we are going to be talking about. Amen. How powerful is that? I don't even know where that video came from. It's some other ministry, but I thought it was just powerful. Because I think we don't hear enough who God has called us to be. I don't think we speak enough in churches today about our identity in Christ. Because if we did, then we would walk out in a very different authority as the body of Christ. Amen. And I love that it says there at the end, it said, An external manifestation of an internal reality. And so our question this morning is, what is our internal reality? Who do we believe that we are? Do we know that we are a son and a daughter? And so before we go into the topic of identity, I just want to lay a little bit of word foundation. Can everyone see me behind this table? (laughs) I feel like this table is so high. Okay, so God's original intention was for man, for me and you, to rule and reign in life. That was his original intention. Let's have a look at Romans 5, verse 17. By the way, we also have our notes on YouVersion. So if you have the Bible app, YouVersion, on your phone, you can go under events, and you can just search uh, Living Word Ventuk. I think it should come right up. So if you miss a scripture, because I know on our screen we, we can't show... We're trying to work out with the program how can we show the scripture, but this is Romans five verse seventeen, and it's in the Amplified, and it says the following: For if because of one man's trespass, lapse or offence, death reigned through that one, much more surely will those who receive God's overflowing grace, unmerited favour, and the free gift of righteousness, putting them into right standing with Himself, reign as kings in life. Everyone say reign as kings. Reign as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed One. Now, what is the definition of a king? If the Bible says we are supposed to be ruling and reigning as kings, what does that mean? We're not all Queen Elizabeth, but the word says, well, actually, the Google says, the king. a definition of a king is a ruler of a kingdom, a monarch of a major territorial unit, one who inherits the position of... By right of birth. One who inherits the position by right of birth. Okay, keep that in mind. Let's have a look at a second scripture, Genesis 1.26. Now remember, this is, the, this is the foundation of where we are going to be establishing this point of identity from. God's called us to rule and reign as kings. So Genesis 1.26 says, God said, Let us, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit... Make mankind in our image, after our likeness, and let them have complete authority. Everyone say complete authority. Complete authority over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, the tame beasts, and over all of the earth, and over everything that creeps upon the earth. So now we can see from these two scriptures what what is God actually saying. He is saying that He has firstly given us identity. Okay, That scripture says that we were made in His image, number one, in His spiritual likeness. So we don't necessarily look like God, but we have been made in His because God is spirit, but we have been made in His spiritual likeness. Number one, God has given us identity. Number two, God has given us an authority. God has given us as mankind an authority to rule and reign over everything that that scripture has said. Now that word complete authority, in the Hebrew, it speaks, um, it uses the word rada. I don't even know if I'm pronouncing it correctly. The scholars in the room can correct me afterwards. But you you spell it R-A-D-A-H. And that means to have dominion, to rule, to take charge of, and to dominate. To dominate. Psalm 115, I think it's verse 16, says that the heavens belong to the Lord, but the earth He has given to the children of men. So that was God's first intention, was for us to rule. Now, if we look around the earth today, does it look like all Christians are ruling and reigning in life? It doesn't always look like that. The reason why is because of the fall. God gave Adam and Eve this mandate. He said to them, I need you to to rule and reign. I've given you that authority. You've already got my identity. You know who I am. You know who you are. Now go and do your thing. But what happened? The enemy came, and the first thing he did was he questions Eve's identity. He questioned her identity, and she fell for it. He said to her, you know, if you eat from that tree, you will be like God. But the truth is, she was already like God. Because the Lord said that he created them in his image. He said to her, he said to Adam and Eve, I have created you. In my identity, you are already sons and daughters. And the enemy came, and what happened? Eve fell for it. She fell for his lies. She fell for his deception. And she gave away that identity. She lost her identity, and she actually gave away her authority. Because what happened? She gave it to the enemy. And the Bible says that once sin, one sin is there, the wages of sin is death. So the Bible speaks about a spiritual death. So what had happened is that in that moment when she obeyed the enemy, instead of obeying God, instead of obeying her father, out of that position of sonship. And when we say sonship, we're speaking of male and female. So we're speaking of sons and daughters, not just men. Just wanted to throw that in there. Um, so, So what happened was the wages of sin is death. So in that moment, instantly Eve was separated from God. That spiritual connection that they had was broken. That sonship, that place of identity was broken. And the Bible said suddenly they felt shame and they knew that they were naked. So something was broken. Sonship was broken. So the Bible says that death had to be or sin had to be punished. Okay, because God is a just God. And Johannes spoke about John 3.16 last week where it says that God loved the world so much that he decided, I will actually take the penalty for your sin and he sent his son Jesus, and we know that story. This is the message of the gospel. This is the good news, by the way. Someone once asked me, can you explain the good news of the gospel? Why is it good news? I was like, oh, that's a good question. We always tell people, you should listen to the good news, but we never tell them what the good news is. The good news is that we didn't have to die for our sin, because who knows, that, that sin opened the door for all of us to be born into sin. So not only did Jesus die for our sins and He took our punishment, and He came to restore that sonship, that connection, that identity that we have with the Father. He came to restore that for us. But not only that, He also came to give us back our authority. I don't have this on the, uh, on the screen, but in the Uvision notes it's there. It's Colossians 2, verse 13 to 15. So if you're taking notes, it says that once we were dead because of our sins, but God made us alive in Christ. And with Jesus dying on the cross, he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. And I love that. He, it said he disarmed the spiritual rulers and authorities. So he came and he gave us back our authority. Matthew 28 verse 18, Johannes also spoke about it last week. Jesus said, all authority on heaven and in, earth, on he, in heaven and on earth was given to me. So once our identity is restored, we can get back into our place of authority. But it starts with identity. So I thought it was really important that we just lay that foundation so we can understand God's process of how this works. So now that we have our new identity, our spirit of sonship is restored, what does that actually mean now for us? Let's have a look at 1 Peter 2, verse 9 to 10. Is all with us. Okay. 1 Peter 2 verse 9 says, But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Everyone say chosen. Chosen. You are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And as a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For He called you out of the darkness into His wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, but now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, and now you have received God's mercy. I love that. The Bible calls us royal priests. We are a royal priesthood. We are part of a royal family. When we get back into that place, when we accept Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior, we are restored in our sonship. Amen? That is the first thing that the Lord wants to establish in our hearts before He wants to send you on an outreach to Malawi, before He wants to send you out and go and do all these incredible things, He wants you to know that you're a son and that you're a daughter. He wants to show Himself to you as Father. That's His first heartache. That's what He wants to do. He wants to establish a spirit of sonship. And who knows that the Bible says that once we give our heart to the Lord, we become a brand new creation. Amen? All of the old has gone, and the new has come. We become a brand new creation. Let's have a look at Romans 8, verse 14 to 17. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. And there's another one, verse 15, thank you. So you have not received a spirit that makes you fearful slaves. Instead, you have received God's Spirit when He adopted you as His own children. And now we call him Abba, Father. And that word Abba is actually the Aramaic word for Father. Amen. So for his spirit joins with our spirit to affirm that we are God's children. And since we are his children, we are his heirs. In fact, together with Christ, we are heirs of God's glory. But if we are to share his glory, we must also share in his suffering. But I want to focus our attention of it says there that we received God's spirit. In other words, we also speak of the spirit of sonship. Okay? So God comes and he restores our sonship. He says, you are my beloved son. You are my beloved daughter. I want to show you who I am as your father. Because out of that place of identity, I will lead you to your calling. I will lead you to your destiny. And That identity means we're actually being born into a royal family. Remember we said the definition of a king is you actually inherit that position by right of birth. So just like Prince Charles was born in a royal family, he was born the son of the queen. Okay? That is Prince Charles. Yeah, he was born. (laughs) I'm like, "Mm, Harry, uh, yes, he was born as a prince. He was born into royalty. And if you think about the royal family, when you are born into royalty, you know that you are royalty. Prince Charles, I doubt, was never confused whether he was a prince or a slave. I don't think he grew up in the palace thinking that he was a slave, thinking that he should speak like a slave, thinking that he should act like a slave, thinking or being confused about the fact that he had an authority as a prince, that wherever he walked, people knew he was royalty. He doesn't even need to wear his crown. I'm a Vietvis Prince Charles. Okay, if you don't know who's Prince Charles or son, if of your advice. Okay, so this means that he has the same legal right to his mother's estate. Okay, that estate, he's an heir of the throne. And it's the same for us. If we take that same analogy, it's the same when we get born into the spiritual family of God. When our sonship is restored, we are born into a royal spiritual family. We have that crown, that spiritual crown that is on our heads. But oftentimes, I think as Christians, we don't know who we are. We don't know that there is a crown on our head. So we sometimes live as if we are still a slave. And I think that's one of the things that the Lord wants to break over the mindsets of His children. You know, we need to understand that we are royalty. We need to understand that we are the king's children. We have the same legal right in the Spirit we have the same authority to have access to everything that the Bible says we can have. What Jesus has, we have access to. That's what the word says. We don't have time to go through all of the scriptures because I said to Johannes, this is such a big topic. I need eight weeks, like children's church, for us to really go deep into this topic. So this morning is actually just a little bit of an introduction, but I pray that it really speaks to us on some level. Amen. And so, you know, what's actually profound about where where Paul, the Apostle Paul, was talking about the spirit of sonship. And in that time, in the context that he was um, speaking in Romans, the Roman culture for adoption was actually like this. It worked like this. If you were adopted by a new family as a child, you would lose all the rights of your old family. And immediately, you would have access to all the rights of the new family like a legitimate child. You would actually lose everything of your old life and you would step right into a new life and have access to everything that your new family would give you access to or what they represent, their estate, their inheritance. A full heir. Now, what is identity? Okay, We often speak about identity, but what does identity actually mean? Now, the definition of identity is the fact or being of what a person is. Identity is the characteristics determining who a person is, a person's conception and expression of who they believe that they are relating to self-image and self-esteem. So when we speak of identity, we speak of what do we believe about ourselves? Who do you think that you are? Who do I think that I am? (laughs) But that's the question. Who do we think we are? What are you, deep down on the inside... What is our internal reality? Who do we believe that God has called us to be? For some of us, you know, we spoke about our identity being shaped from when we were children, from babies, from even in the womb. And not all of us grew up in a beautiful Christian home. If you did, you are blessed. If you grew up in a beautiful children, uh, children's home? Christian home and your parents taught you from a young age who God says you are, and you were taught the truth about who you've been called to be, But some of us grew up in very different circumstances. Some of us maybe grew up in a home where you never heard that you are special. You never heard that you are worthy. You never heard that you have been chosen, that you are loved, that you are accepted. Okay, we all grew up in different circumstances. And identity is often shaped mostly by those in authority over us. I mean, I don't know about you, but I can still remember what, you know, um, teachers in primary school said over me. I can remember what they wrote on report cards. I can remember what some of my friends even said to me in primary school. Things that were good, but also things that were bad. Things that took me years to work through and to, to shake, you know, if it was something negative, it was, if it was something that was a complete lie, a complete opposite of what God says about me. And oftentimes, sometimes people may have grown up in negative or destructive behavior homes. Some of us may have heard words of negativity and destruction over our lives from the time that we were born. And now you've grown up, and as a grown up, you still struggle to get rid of some of those thoughts, some of those feelings, some of those beliefs. Children who are being bullied, it's a big problem in our society today. It's a massive problem. And this is why we are so passionate about Children's Church, because this is where next week's lesson, we are actually going to be talking about what God says and what is a lie. So if you've been told as a little boy or as a little girl that you are ugly and you are not special, that is a lie. And we're going to break that down, because God's Word says that you are special. And so for me, a little bit of my personal testimony, I grew up um, in a Christian home. My parents always taught us the word. Um, we read Bible stories. Um, but, you know, we went to Sunday school, and we knew all the stories, David and Goliath, but, you know, we didn't necessarily know the depth of God's word the way we maybe know it today. Um, and I think I was six years old. was My little brother was four years old. And my dad, who was a sheep farmer, suddenly had a heart attack. He was very young. He was 36 years old. Very healthy, they played tennis every weekend, and he just passed away very suddenly. And I remember as a six year old little girl, you know, you have no idea what to do with emotions of that caliber. Some of you may be able to relate this morning. I had no idea how to process my emotions, how to work through the trauma of losing a father figure, and especially for a little girl, you know. Fathers are the ones who establish our identity the most in the household. So for me, I immediately felt that sense of abandonment, um, that sense of that spirit of rejection. Sometimes we might not even be doing anything wrong for a spirit of rejection to come into our life. Sometimes through a traumatic event or through, you know, abuse or something that can happen to us, that thing can gain entry into our life and it can have a massive power over us. And it's only Jesus who can free us of those things. And I remember growing up, being always the shy girl. I would never speak in front of people. Orals in the English class or mondeling was a nightmare for me. I had no confidence if they would ask the new girl to stand up, because we moved from Kofinia into uh, Cape Town, and suddenly there was this huge school with all these children and... I remember just crying the first day that they said, okay, all the new people stand, and I just started crying because I had absolutely no confidence, no self-esteem to stand up in front of other children because I was now different. I had no daddy at home. And I think on some level, it really impacted my identity, who I believed I was. And I mean, I grew up in a wonderful home, but these things sometimes are so deeply rooted, I mean... And I remember just growing up in primary school, trying to make friends with the right people and the right crowd. Um, Even through high school, I would dress a certain way. You know, when you don't know who you are, you go and look for identity in other things. You go and look for identity in what you do on the outside. Sometimes as grown-up, we go look for identity in our careers. We go look for identity in materialism, the car I drive, the house I live in, even where I send my kids to school. so long Sometimes we can be like that. And I remember in my twenties, I think because of all of the years of suppressing these emotions, never, like I acted like nothing had happened. Never went for counseling, never spoke to anyone about it. And in my twenties, I started really struggling with anxiety. A lot of anxiety, a lot of fear. Um, The doctors at the time said, oh, it's just your job. I worked for an advertising agency, and it was very stressful. And so they just gave me some antidepressant medications and said, you know, it's just a chemical imbalance in your brain. And that does happen to people. But I I do believe my my spiritual root was something different. Um, And I remember a friend started inviting me to church. And I always said, no, I don't want to go to those weird churches where people raise their hands. and, and this guy was insistent. He kept on, he kept on, he kept on. And eventually, just to get him quiet, I said, okay, I'll go. And, um, and I went, and I remember for the first time ever not feeling that anxiety, not feeling that knot in my stomach. If you've ever had anxiety, you'll know what I'm talking about. This bias lag. It feels like you're dying on the inside. You can't eat, you can't sleep, you can't speak, you can't do anything. And I remember just the Lord started dealing with me and he started pulling me in. And I heard a sermon one night where the pastor was talking about Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, 11. And it was probably the first time I heard that there was a plan and a purpose for my life. Maybe I've heard it somewhere else. I don't know. Maybe my heart was just in a position when I was ready and I could surrender my heart to the Lord. And I said, Jesus, please come and free me because I can't live like this. I was in my 20s. I didn't even, like, it even spilled into relationships. When you don't know your identity, it flows over into relationships. Okay. Um, you, you actually ask other people to come and be something that they are not because of a need that you have. And so, anyway, the Lord started the journey, and he completely freed me. Um, you know, I still have to renew my mind when it comes to fear, fearful thoughts. The enemy comes with the old tricks always, again and again. But now you have the word of God. Now you have the sword of the spirit and you can defeat him with that. But so that was a long journey. And the Lord really dealt with me on identity, on believing who he said that I was, believing that I have a gift, believing that I can be bold enough and talk to people. I was too shy to pray in front of people at my first church. I remember they would ask us to pray and I would run and hide in the bathroom. And when they say, Amen, I would be right back. Amen. <laughs> because I had just no confidence. But everything changes when God comes and restores your sonship. And when I realized that I was actually never abandoned, that God was always there, I just didn't know. It changes your life. Amen. And so what happens when we don't know our true identity in Christ? People often speak of an identity crisis. You may have even said that. I've said that a couple of times. Oh, the identity crisis. But what, is that, what does that actually mean? It actually means that when we allow our behavior to confuse our identity. In other words, when I allow what I do to dictate who I am, that is a crisis. That's not the way it's, it's supposed to be. Our identity must first be established, and from that place we do. so identity should be dictating our behavior, not the other way around and I remember um, this was a couple of years ago a friend of mine he 's now a mighty man of god um, he 's in ministry, and um, he grew up in a neighboring African country, um, and he grew up in a village and he shared this testimony once when we were doing a course and we were praying for other people to be restored of wounds of rejection and wounds of abandonment. And he said, he shared his testimony publicly for the first time. And he said that he was abused sexually by his uncles when he was a little boy. Very young, repeatedly, often. And he said once he remembers that he was in preschool and he went to the, to the bathrooms And he stood in front of the bathrooms, and there was one on the left with a sign of, of, you know, a little boy. And the other one was a sign of a little girl. And he said, I had no idea in which, which door I should walk through because of that abuse. And he said, my identity was so skewed. Because of that abuse, I had no idea even my gender. And we're not going to go into that. There's many different reasons, and there's many different ways the enemy tries and steals our identity at an early age. But that little boy didn't know who he was. He didn't know, should I go left or should I go right? And God's done sins an amazing job in his life, and he's helping a lot of people today. But your identity should dictate your behavior. When we discover our true identity that was lost in the Garden of Eden, it will change our lives. It will change who we are and what we do. So when you don't know who you are or who you are supposed to be, you might always feel like you have no purpose. Or you could be in a position where you have absolutely no clear vision for your life. I was like that. You know, I went to study public relations, not because I knew even what it was, just because my friends did. That's how I made that decision. Actually, those tests that I did when I was in matric or standard nine, grade 11, it actually, one of them said pastor. Pastor. We ignored that one. When you don't know your identity, you never feel like you can succeed at anything. You always feel like you're a failure. You feel it on the inside. And then the reality is that's what will manifest. Okay, the Bible says what we think is what we become in Proverbs. Amen? So that's why it's so important. When you don't know your identity, you never have peace or true rest. You are constantly seeking something more, the next thing, the better thing, the next thing. Career to career, hobby to hobby. You struggle to get to the real reason why you're alive. When you don't know your identity, you can never reach your full potential. Or you might be constantly believing lies about yourself. You suffer with addictions, depression, hopelessness, low self-image, and a low self-esteem. And sometimes even sicknesses will manifest because of what we think in here. We have seen in Cape Town, when we did counseling, um, and a lot of the testimonies that, that JC and the Cape Town team, the counseling team have shared with us, is that sometimes when people come in and they want prayer for healing, and they start praying and the Holy Spirit would reveal a spiritual root like unforgiveness, or they would reveal a spiritual root of guilt and condemnation, That person might be sitting with something that they have believed for their whole life, 30 years, 40 years. They've lived with guilt, with condemnation in their hearts, in their minds, believed something about themselves that wasn't true. And eventually it's made them sick on the inside. And once that gets renounced, once they forgive, once they release that guilt, that condemnation, the healing comes. Okay. The Bible says there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It is not God's heart that we should walk around with guilt and condemnation all of our lives. Sometimes when we don't know our identity, we take on the identity of those around us. You start to mimic your partner, different relationships. Uh, You don't have your own ideas. You don't have your own likes, dislikes. You just kind of fall with whatever everyone else decides. No will of your own. Sometimes when we struggle with identity, we become so dependent on others or relationships or hobbies to fulfill us rather than Christ. Or we go and look for worth and value in things, people, careers, money, outer appearances or lifestyles. I want us to look at the scripture again, 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17. When we give our heart to the Lord, it means that anyone who belongs to Christ now has become a new person. The old life is gone and a new life has begun. And that word new in the Greek is kainos, and it actually means recently made. It means fresh, brand new, unused, unworn, a new kind. Just think about that for a moment. Whatever it was like before, the old life is gone, a new thing. God makes us completely new. And even Jesus had his identity confirmed. Okay, who remembers in Matthew 3, verse 17, when Jesus was being baptized by John the Baptist, it says that a voice came from heaven and said, You are my beloved son. In you, I am well pleased. It's like God the Father was just coming and he was saying, I approve of you. I accept you. You are my son. I'm your father and you are accepted in the beloved. So I don't know if that is for someone here this morning that you just need to hear again that you are accepted. You are loved. As a son and as a daughter of the Most High God, you are a brand new creation. Okay. You are a brand new creation. So how do I receive this identity in Christ? There's a well-known teacher of the Word from Bethel Church, Chris Vallotton, and he says, Our true identity doesn't come from head knowledge, but it comes only from impartation of our Heavenly Father. It only comes from importation, And so we are going to pray for some people this morning. But you might ask, how do I receive this new identity? I've been born again for 10 years. One year, five days. How do I receive this new identity in Christ? Number one, you need to give your heart to the Lord. Okay. We need to choose Jesus. This is what we are teaching kids in Children's Church. We need to choose Jesus. You can't try and figure out your identity on your own. That's not the way that God has designed us. He gave us identity. He created us to firstly be in an intimate and a love relationship with Him. That's the first purpose. Before we rule and reign, He created us to be sons and daughters. Okay. That's the only way to get born again into His royal family. Remember, we gain it by right of birth. So we need to be born, like um, Jesus taught Nicodemus, you need to be born again into the kingdom of God. You can't just accept. You know, I once had a conversation with someone, a family member. And he said to me, oh, don't worry about so-and-so. He's a good person. He'll go to heaven. And I said, good people don't go to heaven. Okay. saved people go to heaven. Children of God go to heaven. You need to make a decision. Heaven and hell are real places. Number two, we need to spend time in the Word of God. And we need to spend time in prayer. Okay. I did a huge study for my identity in Christ because I really wanted to understand this. For me, it was something that I I had this burden on my heart to understand who I was, who did God call me to be, because I felt for my whole life I didn't know who I was. And I looked, and there's probably over 140 scriptures that says in Christ, just in the New Testament, in Christ. This is who you are in Christ. If you go and do that study, it will change your life. And we can't just read it once and think, okay, now we've got it. We need to be meditating on it. We need to be soaking in it. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to come and show us. Show me who you created me to be. Show me what I have access to so I can live a life to the full, so I can live life fulfilled. One of my biggest gripes was that I felt like my life was unfulfilled. I needed purpose. I needed purpose. I needed to understand why was I here. You know, why was I even born? And it is shocking to see how many Christians walk around born again, not knowing what their purpose is. Vietni with And so we want to be a church, as Johanna said last week. We want to pray with you. We want to see God's face and God's heart for you, to see who has He called you to be. Does need white picket fiends life? There's more to life. Jesus is coming back with rewards. Okay, That's another sermon. But we need to accept and believe what the word says, asking the Lord to show us who we are. And if there are any lies that we're believing about ourselves, that the Holy Spirit can reveal that to us. Because that's how we get to freedom. That's how I got to freedom. That's how I got rid of anxiety, fear. I mean, it ruled my life. It prevented me from doing so many things because fear held me back. I was honestly so scared. And if I look back now, I'm thinking, why didn't I go to church years before? But don't be condemned. God knows what He's doing. He knows your heart. He knows where you're at. And He wants to set some people free this morning. Number three. Free. Okay, hallelujah. Number three. The Afrikaans come as there. Number three, we need to confess who we are in Christ. Okay. So uh, sometimes people think, okay, I'm not going to sit and repeat everything, but there is power in our words. Proverbs says that when we speak the word of God, life and death is in the power of the tongue. And also, who knows that when you hear yourself say something, you are much more likely to believe what you hear yourself say than what you hear other people say about you. This is why it's important to renew our mind. And I've taken some time, okay, to jot down 46 confessions of who we are in Christ. I've printed on a PDF document, 46 confessions. Okay, so if you want to have some of those confessions, and if you don't feel like doing the work, on our info desk outside, there's a PDF document. Take it home and just try it out. For those who are already not doing that. And go and confess. Go and take take one week on one scripture. And just ask the Lord to show you, Lord, what does this mean? I am alive to sin. Ach, dead to sin, and alive in Christ, hallelujah. I your confessions? Okay, but what does that mean, Lord? Come and show me. Break this open. Give me revelation. We are so dead to sin in Jesus' name. And that's another thing, actually. You know, I might hear, I often hear people say, ek is a Well, which one are you? Are you a sinner? Or are you saved by grace? Because it's two different things. If you are saved by grace, the Bible says you are dead to sin. Okay? Your body still needs to, your flesh still needs to come into alignment, but your spirit is dead to sin. Those are two different things. So we are not going to confess that we are sinners. Okay? If you've given your heart to the Lord, yeah, we are saved by grace. Amen? And so we need to be confessing the, Lord, uh, the word. We need to speak life over ourselves. You know, we need to replace those lies that people have spoken over us. The last time I preached this word, I actually used a random example, and I had no idea what I was saying. This was obviously the Holy Spirit. And I suddenly um, remember talking to someone who his whole life he was told that he was dumb. Ne? Dom. Or So he was a man in his mid-forties. He came crying after the sermon. And he said his whole life he can't get that line out of his head. A teacher or someone said to him, He struggled until his mid-40s, from 18, to get rid of that sentence. That's the power that words have. So we need to be speaking the right words. We need to confess the word over our children. We need to teach them the word of God from a young age. Because it will change their life. It will change the direction of their destiny. And number four, I believe we need to get into the right soil for this seed to grow. And so this is a church where there's an opportunity for you to serve, where there's an opportunity for you to contribute, to participate. Because we can keep sowing the seed into your heart, but who knows that we need the Holy Spirit to water it. And for me, boldness came when I started stepping out in fear and trembling. (laughs) So, and when I had to step out and I had to bring an offering message, or I had to step out and I had to pray for a new Christian, I was so scared of doing it. But if I didn't step out then and allow the Holy Spirit to water that seed, I would probably not be standing here this morning. And I know there's so much more that God wants to stretch me on. And the same with all of us. He's called all of us. There's something for all of us to do that's unique, that God has chosen you to do, that He's chosen me to do. So as the worship team just come up, I want us to think about this. We have a mandate on our lives. We are alive for a time such as this. And I don't know if anything has been spoken over you as a grown-up, in your marriage, as a child, by a teacher, by a youth pastor, by grandmother, grandfather, whoever it was, some authority figure in your life. If someone has once spoken something over you that you've actually struggled your whole life to get over, we are going to be praying this morning because the Lord showed me a picture literally of words written on like a whiteboard, like with a, with a non-permanent marker. And I saw him wiping it clean. The slate is clean this morning. Jesus wants to come and he wants to breathe a new life and a new word over your life this morning. Okay, so why don't we just close our eyes as the team just start playing some keys for us. And we just go into a moment of the Lord's presence. And we just trust Holy Spirit to come and to speak to us this morning. And you can close your eyes this morning and I just want you to think. Just be in the Lord's presence. Just allow Him to speak to your heart this morning. If there was an area in your life that you struggled to overcome because of words, because of what people might have said to you, Maybe it's just something that you started believing about yourself. You can't even remember why you believe it, but you know that you believe it. And maybe you don't feel worthy this morning. You don't feel like God can use you. You might not even feel worthy as a husband or a wife in your marriage. You might feel unworthy as a parent. I don't know what your story is this morning. I don't know what you are struggling with. But if there's something that we can pray this morning and that God can release a new word over you this morning, then I just gently want you to raise your hand so I can just see your hand. Just while everyone's eyes are closed, whatever it is for you, God is saying this morning that it's a new day. You are a new creation. And just remain in this position of worship and just have your eyes closed. And Lord, I just ask, Holy Spirit, Would you just flow over this entire room, Lord? Come and touch every heart in this place. Everyone whose hands are raised. Lord, come and breathe new life over them this morning. Release your spirit into every heart. And I just break every negative word, every curse that has been spoken over you in the name of Jesus this morning. You are not unworthy. You are not a failure. You are chosen by God. And Lord, I pray that our spirits are open to receive, that our hearts are open, that our ears are hearing what the Spirit is saying. You are worthy. You are chosen. You are powerful. You are anointed for what God has called you to do. You are a good man. And you are a mighty woman of God. Thank you, Lord, that we are sons and daughters, that you restored our sonship. Lord, you came and you birthed us into your royal kingdom for a time such as this. You birthed us into your royal kingdom. And so I just pray that you will touch every heart this morning, Lord. Replace every thought that is not from you, that it is not from the Holy Spirit, and replace it with your truth, Lord. And Father, I pray a blessing over every person here. May they know who they are. May we all step out in that identity that you've called us to. Reveal to us your heart for us as Father. May we just know you as a good dad and a good father. I pray, Lord, for every person whose hands are raised, that you will give them visions, that you will give them dreams, Lord. Show them who they are in you. Show them who you've called them to be. Speak to their hearts, Lord. And may this be a new week as they step out. Lord, may they walk out of this room today with a new boldness, with a new confidence, with a knowing that you are standing right behind them, that you are holding them with your right hand, and that you will never let them go. You will never leave us and you will never forsake us. And Lord, I pray that you will protect us, that you will protect everyone here by your blood, Lord, that the enemy will never gain access with the same old lies. It's a new day. And we thank you, Jesus. And as we remain in this, in this place of prayer, if there's anyone in this room this morning, and you know actually that you're in a place where you've never given Jesus full authority and full lordship over your life, You're in a place where you feel far from Him and you can't say for sure whether you are actually born again or whether you will have eternal life with Him in heaven if you die tomorrow. We will always take time to pray because this is so important. God is calling you back. He's calling you back into His kingdom. He's calling you back into His family. He created you. And so if there's anyone here this morning and you need to You need to invite Jesus back into your heart this morning. You need to say, Lord, come and be the Lord and Savior of my life. Then we just want to pray with you as a church and as a group family. While everyone's eyes are closed, you can just also raise your hand for me so I can see. And I really want to pray with you this morning. If there's anyone here, you can just raise your hand. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, I see that hand. Why don't we just all as a family pray together? You can just pray after me. Just say, Thank you, Lord Jesus, that you are good, that you came to restore my sonship, to give me a crown of righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for dying on the cross for me. Thank you that I am forgiven. I am sorry for living the life that I lived. But I ask you now, come and make me clean. Wash away my sins and make me a brand new creation. Thank you that I am a child of God. Thank you that I am royalty. And that I can can now live my life for you.